Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs, startups, and side hustlers share their startup stories. Rising Tide helps you break free from the Monday blues and launch your own startup. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Mark Podolsky. Mark, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin Pruitt, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you being here. Can you share a little bit about your background and family, work, history, experience, just all the, all the good bits with our, with our listeners? Yeah, yeah. I can kind of give you my origin story if you want. I used Absolutely. to be a very miserable, micromanaged, 45-minute commute to work and back investment baker, uh, specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Kevin, it got so bad for me that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday rolling around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend oh, wow. going by really fast. Those are worse than it, that. That's like two times worse than the Monday blues with a kicker. It was, it was terrible. So my firm hires this guy. He's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar. He's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on his investment. Well, I'm looking at companies all day long and a great company, great company, has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average company is 10%. I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course, I don't believe him. So we go to New Mexico. I got three grand saved up for car repairs. I do exactly what he says to do. I buy up 10 half acre parcels, an average price of $300 each. I flip them online. They all sell for an average price of $1,200 each. 300%, it worked. So I took all that money. I went to another auction in Arizona where I live. And again, this is 2000. There's no one in the room. I'm buying land. I'm buying a, you know, lots, acreage, um, no competition. And over the next six months, I sold all that land and I made over $90,000 cash. Wow. So I go to my wife. I go, honey, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to become a full-time land investor. And she's pregnant at the time. She's like, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay. <laughs> So I worked land investing. I guess it planned for, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took about 18 months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit. I've been doing it full-time ever since 2001. I've done over 5,200 land deals. And I absolutely love it because I can walk you through the model, but I think I have the best passive income model. I, you know, we've talked to a lot of people that uh, have active and passive income, and, and I think this is one of the most unique stories that we've, we've had on Rising Tide. And, and uh, so touch a little bit, you know, kind of round out the comprehensive intro. Tell us a little bit about family, where you live, what your background is. Yeah, yeah. So I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I've been married, I'm on my 23rd year. Congratulations. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, Knock on virtual background. Yeah, knock on virtual background. (laughs) Keep your fingers crossed. I've got three kids. Uh, My son is 19. My oldest is 19. My middle is 16. My youngest is 14. So I have three teenagers. And my entire goal in life is for them to not give me an eye roll. Very very difficult (laughs) to do. I'm just thinking how I am at your wife with all that testosterone around. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, she's, she's a trooper for sure. Well, it's uh, I, I, mean, I love kind of the, the backstory and just kind of letting our listeners kind of get a, a real comprehensive rounded view. And 
Uh, take us back to the, the time, you know, you said you had the Friday blues. And so the guy comes in and, and he says, hey, I, I'm making this, this income by buying just raw land and flipping it and, and uh, making a 300% return or whatever. So I, I have to believe your initial response was, was probably skeptical. It, oh, it definitely was. I was very, very skeptical. And my biggest fear was, and I talked to my wife about this, you know, because I was risking capital that I shouldn't risk because it was saved up for car repairs. I said, well, let's, let's walk through the worst case scenario here. The worst case scenario is we own raw land. So that's not so bad. Like you're not gonna get mad at me walking into the garage and be like, oh, Mark, get rid of this raw land. Um, so it's not going to bother her. And then the other part was that I thought, well, if I can't sell it, like he's saying that we can, I could barter it. And maybe I could get free haircuts for a year, <laughs> you know, free dentistry. You know, I could barter it. There, there, was, there was something I could do with it. There was nothing to maintain, nothing to protect. It wasn't going to take any of my time. So after going through that initial sort of reverse engineering of, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? It wasn't that bad. So I, I know you're probably going to touch on this when you talk about the model itself and, and the due diligence process. But uh, to me, the worst case scenario is not that you just have raw land. To me, the worst case scenario is you have raw land that is Three Mile Island or you have raw land that is, um, you know, has some kind of hazardous materials on it that you are now responsible for taking care of. So have you ever, I mean, did that even enter your mind or is that, is that even a, a true risk? Do you, do you bear that it, risk? It is, it is a true risk, but not in the Southwest. But if you're going to buy like Jersey or Pennsylvania, Flint, Michigan, that is, you know, Michigan, any sort of um, industrial area. Yeah, that is a real risk, but this is rural land in New Mexico. And all the states that I work in are more rural Southwest, California, Florida, you know, a little bit Northwest, Oregon, Washington type states. Because Kevin, let's face it, nobody wakes up and thinks to themselves, boy, I live by some raw land today in Iowa. <laughs> Unless you live <laughs> Unless in you're a Iowa. Farmer. That's right. right. Yeah. So I want to exactly. get the biggest buyer pool possible. And then of course, you know, before while we do we have a checklist for due diligence and we always check epa.gov just to make sure we're not even close to a super fun site. Right. Well, I, I, um, I think I was listening to you on, a, on another podcast interview and, and you talked about like buying in, in the sun states or the sun belt or whatever. So what's the advantage to that over, say, Alaska or, you know, say, Washington or Maine or, or is, it, is it just the fact that people are, are, le are more risk averse or less risk averse in those areas? Or do you have, a, like you said, do you have a larger buyer pool? What's the... What's the difference? Yeah, we have a massive buyer pool. Imagine that you're in New York suffering right now in the winter and you see an ad for 40 acres in sunny Nevada and you think to yourself, well, boy, that'd be a nice place to go. That's really, and it's like, okay, I click on it. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is irresistible. It's $24,000. I can't, that's, I can't get, even less than a postage stamp in anywhere in New York city for less than, you know, a million dollars. So I think those two factors alone are what allow us to sell these properties so quickly. 
So I, like I said, I was listening to another another uh, podcast that you had done earlier, and and I tried to kind of marry these these two completely disparate thoughts as as I was listening to that, and and you were talking about you know people wanting to buy like unimproved land or just raw land for various purposes, but I one of my kind of pet uh, interests is the tiny house movement, and mm-hmm. so people are always talking about how difficult it is to find land for you know to put a tiny house on and not just that is because they actually not just want to live in a tiny house they want to live in a tiny house kind of off grid so is that i mean have you seen any interest or any increased interest in in land for that specific niche we have um uh, a number of my clients that's their specific niche for sure and we know how to find those properties 25 30 cents on the dollar wow and then you know, allow them to provide those savings. Now, what we don't do is get into the, the game of helping them develop those. Houses. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and um, that's, I mean, I love that there was another story that you, you kind of told about, you know, a guy buying a piece of property and almost pre-selling it, you know, at the same, mm-hmm. so had like a double closing. So you had the, you know, the purchase and the, and the sale at the same time of closing. So, so he's, he's made a return on his investment and virtually not even touched the property. Not even probably never been to it. Had had a fifteen, you know, a two-hour ownership window that he actually owned the property, you know, outright. So, how often does that happen? As much as we can get it to happen in our marketing. So we want to pre-sell during due diligence, and we do have a built-in best buyer to pre-sell to. Do you remember who it is? Well, you you mentioned maybe the neighbors. The neighbors, you're right. It's the neighbors. <laughs> 10 bonus points for the host or something. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what oftentimes keeps them from the buying it buy though? It. I, I, so if you're, if you're talking to the neighbor and you're saying, you're just telling them, I just bought the land beside you or I am buying the land beside you. And no, I just bought the land beside me. Here's okay. your opportunity. Okay. Because the, yeah. the offer has already been submitted or is it submitted with a contingency based on due diligence or how, how's the, I'm jumping ahead. I I don't want to get, if you want to do the full process model and answer these questions at one time, you can, but I, there's so many questions that pop up. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. I mean, you know, just to answer the question, it's, it's basically if it's an area that we know really well and we're really confident that this is going to close, Mm -hmm. then we'll send out the neighbor letters. If we're not, we'll wait on the neighbor letters Either way, the neighbor letters are going out when we're really 90% certain we're closing because there is a lag time in getting that mail out. And by the time we get the response, we will own the property. Right. And we'll right. use a, a website called simplifile.com to record it. It's super fast. I mean, you can just do it online. So are you normally buying properties that are like um, have tax liens on them? Are they tax auctions or are they just outright auctions or is it, it's, are we, you know, people liquidating family land as part of a, you know, a a settlement after a death? I mean, what's, what's the typical, I guess, source of of the land that you're buying? Well, I really want to get those properties before they go to auction because I don't want to compete with other land investors. So what I'll do is I'll look at the, uh, get the list of the people that own the real property from the county assessor. Then I'll scrub that list and I'll, let's say the use code is VL for vacant land. Now mm-hmm. I just have the vacant land. Then I'll scrub it one more time 
by APN, assessor's parcel number. Now I have it by subdivision and acreage because what I want to do is basically I want to send out an actual offer on the property. I don't want to be in the negotiating business. Right. I don't want to be in the appraisal business. I'm like, look, I can always make more money. I can't get more time. So anything that's going to save me time, I want to do. So what I'll do is I look at the last 12 to 18 months comparable sales on those parcels and simply divide by four. And that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So then we send out our offers. Now this is all automated using our software LG pass, the land geek proprietary automated software system. Mm -hmm. So those offers go out and we are anticipating a three to 5% response rate. If it's under 3%. We know our offer was too low. If it's over 5%. We're getting nervous. Like maybe the offer was a little too high. We need to retrade. So we want to be in that response rate area. Then what we'll do is once they accept it, we'll go through due diligence and, you know, confirm they own the property, check, make sure there's no back taxes or if there are back taxes, that they're not going to kill the entire deal. Uh, look, make sure there's no breaks in the chain of title, just a whole checklist. And then everything checks out. That, by the way, is outsourced to our team in the Philippines. We pay about $11 for it. And that's for deals that are 5000 or less. 5000 or more, we'll still, we'll still do that, but we're going to close through a, a title company. It's, mm -hmm. it's way safer. Sure. So then we own the property. We want to sell it 30 days or less. So we'll send out our neighbor letters. Um, we'll go to our buyers list. We'll go to Craigslist. We'll go to Facebook Marketplace, buy, sell groups. And then we'll go to the lands, landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com, landandfarm.com. These are platforms. But what we want to do is let's say that our initial investment was $2,500. We want to get our capital out on the down payment. So we'll ask for a $2,500 down payment, and then we'll make it a car payment. Let's say $339 a month, 9% interest over the next 84 months. So it's a one time sale. I get my capital out on the down, or maybe within six months. And now I've got a passive income stream of 339 a month and 9% interest over 84 months coming every single month on an automated basis using a software called geekpay.io that I also developed. And then I've got this passive income stream, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. Because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank RESPA or the SAFE Act, any of this onerous real estate legislation. So the game that we play is can we create enough of these land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses and now we're working because we want to, not because we have to. I mean, I, I love the idea of kind of carrying the note, so to speak, you know, the owner financing because, um, I mean, how, how many of your properties would you say are financed versus purchased outright? I mean, I, I only market because I only want the paper. Um, when I first started, the biggest mistake I made was flipping for cash because now I had a new problem. I had to redeploy the cash, right. pay the taxes, redeploy the cash. So now I create all these notes. I'd say 95% of all the properties I sell are notes. The other 5% are because they insist on paying off the note or they right. insist on paying cash. But I often, I won't market it for the cash. I want the note. I want that passive income stream and just keep growing it and growing it. Now, if they default, great. I keep their down payment. I keep their monthly payments 
And I have, there's no cost of foreclosure because I'm using a land contract, which means the asset stays in my name until they pay off their note. I get a new down payment. I get a new note payer. And using geekpay.io, the way that it's set up is if the ACH does fail, we have a credit card on file. So our default rate went from 8% to 4% using the software. So what would you say would be the average like price? Oh, I, I, I don't want to get maybe that granular, but are the majority of parcels, are they, I mean, I guess I had in mind that these were probably a low, low end parcels of land. You know, we're talking three to 5,000 average or something like that. But is it, is, I mean, it, it sounds like to me that it could be, you know, substantially higher than that. It'd be substantially higher. It could be substantially lower. We've picked up parcels for $250. We've picked up parcels for $50,000. Mm-hmm. I did a million dollar deal. It just depends. But either way, it doesn't matter. If I'm buying at 25, 30 cents of the dollar, the dollar amount is irrelevant because if you get any asset, 25, 30 cents of the dollar, raw land, a car, anything, there's someone else on the other end of that deal. Right. Right. So, and, and the worst case scenario in a default is you just get the land back. Yep. That's the worst case. And you just so, sell it. How many, uh, if, if these are, are there any contingencies or stipulations on the, um, on the land itself about the fact that they can or cannot improve the land or change the land, you know, during the, I guess the time that the notes being carried. Yeah, I mean, our contracts really stipulate what they can do, what they can't do. Now, obviously, they can't dump. They can't break the law. Um, they can't build a house um, because I own it. So is, if they want to, well, first of all, they won't get a building permit because they have to have it in their name yeah. to get a building permit. But let's say, for example, that they fence the property or they drop a, a septic or they put a shed there. If they don't pay their note, and this has happened, I keep all the improvements. So personally, improve it all you want. You're most likely not going to default if you keep investing more land, more money into your raw land. But there are cases where that could happen, and then I keep every all the improvements and resell it with a shed, a fence. Right. And I mean, once they, once it's attached to the land, it becomes real property anyway. It's not like if they, if it goes into default, they, they can come in and remove that. Right. Is it, I mean, it's, it's part of the land itself. It's part of the land itself. But majority of these, these um, parcels or plots, I guess you've probably never seen in purpose in person. I would, I would think maybe on Google earth or um, do you have people in local areas that are, that are actually going out and scouting land for you and that type of thing as well? Absolutely. If this is a new area, we'll do uh, a local Craigslist gig for 50 bucks, have somebody go out, fill out our property report and our checklist. Mm-hmm. I want to know what the neighbors are doing. Are they dumping? I want to know what the road is like. I want to know how difficult it was to find the property using the GPS coordinates. I want to know what's compelling about the property, their mountain views or their lakes, or their streams, how far from the nearest Walmart, McDonald's, all this I really want to know oh, before I, yeah. I purchase that property. And then I get it. They'll shoot photos, they'll shoot video. And we'll use a little app called what three words because I put it on their smartphone. And then I know they're pretty close to the property or not. Mm -hmm. They have to send me the GPS coordinates just to verify that they're, they're there. Right. So (laughs) I'm sitting in McDonald's in Scottsdale. Yeah. 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 Land looks great from here. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. So we, we know they actually went out there and um, that works really well because again, you know, what's the best use of my time? It's not going out looking at raw land because once you've looked at it, you see, oh, this is pretty much all looks the same out there. Yeah. I, I can imagine you get a picture of Google Earth, you know, sna- screenshot it off Google Earth. And then you're going, I don't think you went out there because this is actually a drone shot, <laughs> you know, or yeah, a satellite yeah, exactly. shot. You you couldn't have taken this unless you climbed a tree. So, yeah, this right. is this is not it. Tell us, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like to me that since 2001, it's just been all unicorns and rainbows, you know, in, in your business. So, but is there is there a kind of a horror story or is there one you're just going, wow, I, we missed on that one. We didn't do our due diligence. We, you know, we would sure like to have that one back. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, like as mulligan. far as like deals are concerned, the worst deal I ever did was in a property owners association in Western Pennsylvania. And I mean, I fell in love with this. It was a overdeveloped subdivision. So there's a thousand lots, but there's 300 homes out there. They had million dollar homes out there. They had, I mean, it was beautiful. It was two PGA rated golf courses, three beautiful lakes. They had a clubhouse and a restaurant, a post office, a full community. It was gated. The wealthy people lived over in this community. So obviously it was overdeveloped. All these lots were sold, but nobody was paying their POA assessments. So I fly in there, get in my suit. I go to the county and say, you got dead money. People aren't paying their taxes. I go to the association and say, you got dead money. No one's paying their their POA fees. I'm going to resurrect all of it. And all you got to do is deed me the property. Now, once I own it, during that time, I'm not paying taxes and I'm not paying POA fees. But once I sell it, I'll collect it for you. So they said, great. Guess how long it took them to say great? Uh, probably as long as it took you to tell the story or maybe shorter. Three, year, three years. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they had the golf people were afraid. Yeah. They're, they're click. Then you had the, 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 the people that are afraid, like, you know, the, the, the lunching ladies. <laughs> All these new people, Mark's going to sell all this property. All these people are going to come to our community. And what are we going to do? The lake's going to be overfilled. The boaters hated me. Everybody hated me. So I said, look, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. So, but now it's, I buy it in 2007 and I sell those lots. I make about a hundred thousand dollars profit, but 2008 rolls around Mm. and man, I couldn't sell them and it was the first time in business that I, when I factored in my time, I really broke even uh, on that deal. That was just horrible. So even though I made money, I always look at, you know, the value of my time. I, I really broke even on that deal because, I mean, it's crazy to say, but in my niche, would you buy the asset 30 cents the dollar? You're not, I, I've never been stuck with a piece of raw land and I've always made money on it. Just being disciplined. So have you ever purchased one that, that just absolutely will not sell, sell? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't give this land away. You paid $3,000 for a parcel and you, and nobody cares. Nobody wants to move to Southwest Arkansas. I mean, no, that's never happened. What, what did happen was I screwed up on due diligence. So I bought in another property owners association and I miss, or I just didn't see, I forgot how I screwed it up, but they owed like $3,000 in POA fees. And I think I paid like 
a hundred bucks for the lot and I was going to, you know, sell these things for a thousand dollars. Well, I'm like, this is not, no one's going to buy these with this lien on it of three grand. So I, you know, scratched my head and I thought, well, how do you, how do you figure this one out? Like, I know what I'll do. How does a lien get cleared? You don't pay your taxes and it goes to auction. <laughs> so I didn't pay the taxes. I let it go to auction. And then the, at the auction, it went for like three, I, th I forget how much it went for, but like, I want to say like eight grand. Had the local attorney apply for the overage. So if the back taxes were a thousand and it sells for 8,000, I get the overage of 7,000. So I made like seven grand on that deal. So, but did that not hurt your credit rating to let something go, you know, for delinquent taxes? Is that a yeah, this credit is, rating or? Doesn't affect your credit rating at all, not paying your, your property taxes. Okay. All right. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's not, doesn't get, you know, no one, government agencies don't care about that stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's one other story that I, I'd love to hear you kind of expound on a little bit. And I, I think that, that uh, if I remember correctly, you were talking about, uh, it was another due diligence, you know, or, or maybe, you know, you said, I wish I would have done more, you know, due diligence before I purchased the land. But it, actually, uh, I'll let you tell the story. But there was something about land being, you know, I, I thought I bought 25 acres, but I bought five acres, you know, horizontal and oh, 20 my acres 40, vertical. Yeah, yeah. I bought four. <laughs> so I thought I bought 40 acres in New Mexico. <laughs> what I bought was 15 acres and 25 of them were on the side of a mountain. <laughs> and this is, and this is like, oh my gosh, I paid $2,500. And I thought, well, how am I going to market this? People are going to see the aerial maps and see, oh, and the and satellite maps it's on the side of a mountain. You can't really access it. So I thought, Oh, I'll just throw this up on eBay. Well, the first day it got bid up to $2,500 by the 10th day, it was up to $32,500. And I'm freaking out. Thinking wow. Maybe I misrepresented the property somehow, even though I'm seeing the pictures and the maps, like maybe they're not seeing it. So the person wins the auction. I immediately call them up. I'm like, Hey, just to be clear, you see like 25 of these acres are on the side of a mountain. He's like, it's perfect. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm a film director in LA and I've been wanting to film out there and I don't want to deal with permits. So now I own the land. <laughs> so after that, I decided there literally is a pig for every barn. Absolutely. I, and I love that expression. But I, I think when I was listening to that story, I thought, you know, the, the moral of the story is going to be, yeah, we're a, we're a repelling club. We're a, you know, we're a rock climbing club and this is perfect for, uh, you know, for our practice. But yeah, I, I mean, I love the idea of just the, you know, there, there are ways to remedy. I mean, I, I'm just listening to a lot of your stories. It's just how creative you are at remedying the situation when it, it's not just completely smooth sailing. And I think that's what a great lesson for regardless of what, what industry you're in as an entrepreneur of just how do you come up with a creative solution to the obstacles that you're going to face? And um, I really want you to kind of, uh, as we, as we transition into kind of the, the, the teaching phase here where I really just get out of the way and let you, you know, as the professor do your master class on what would it look like to, to do a startup again, if you started tomorrow and, and what would you, what type of industry would you step into? So, um, and I think that, you know, the lessons that you've talked about are, are so apropos to, you know, to this whole space, but 
you have the mic and I'm, I'm just out of the way and, and uh, just give our listeners a kind of a quick class here at the end. Okay, so if I were gonna start all over again, the biggest mistake I made was not getting a mentor. And that would have saved so much pain and suffering for sure. That I would definitely do again. Um, and then as far as like action advice, like I'm, I'm doing a startup, I want something to motivate me to solve like innumerable problems. I'd read the book, The Martian. I don't know if you've ever read that book, Kevin. Have you read it? I have seen the, the, the movie. So yeah, okay, I, the I movie is great. It doesn't do the book justice. The book <laughs> is crazy. And so, but it really motivates you. Like if this guy can do this, but the author, even though it's, it's, it's fiction, like it does read a lot like nonfiction, like, and even astronauts will tell you they, they deal with this um, when they're up in space. But like, as an entrepreneur, you deal with these problems out there a lot. You know, you're not going to die if you don't solve them, but your company might. So <laughs> exactly, it's it's a really it's just a really great way to get in this motivational headspace of of solving problems creatively, knowing that for every problem there really is a solution, and you know have this level two thinking um, to you know keep going and keep doing that and have that sort of internal grit for sure. Um, the other thing I think is have some savings, have a plan. Uh, you know, most businesses, and this is my investment banker hat, you know, talking, but most startups are not going to be profitable the first year. You need to have something to live on. Now, if you're super young, like I had, you know, I was married and I was supporting like a, a family when I first quit my job. But if I were say starting in my twenties, I wouldn't need savings. Like, live on ramen, you'll be just fine. But if you do have a dependent and, you know, family, then yeah, have some savings, be responsible and actually start maybe as a side hustle mm -hmm. before you go all in on that. Um, I would also say the most important asset of the business is you. So take care of yourself. Uh, I meditate every morning to get me into this sort of tranquil headspace and to be present with those problems and be present with my clients and be present with the work and not have like this little monkey mind running my life. But if you don't practice doing it, it can run your life uh, without even knowing it. So I recommend the waking up app by Sam Harris or headspace app mm -hmm. um, as well. So the other the other side of that equation is after you meditate, work out. It's so good for your stress level because any startup is going to be stressful. And again, you need to have that. You need to be mentally strong. You need to be physically strong and get a good night's sleep every night as well. So those are going to be my, my action advice for starting up. I, I, I love those points. And, and, uh, I, I've, you know, we've done this, this kind of segment, you know, a number of different times and had, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the points kind of cross over from time to time, but, um, we've certainly never had anybody recommend that you read the book, the Martian, that, that is a first and, and I, it may be a long time before we have that repeated, but I love the idea of just the whole, 
I mean, every, every space mission that you know, you've ever watched the movie, they're overcoming these, you know, insurmountable obstacles. You know, if we're one degree off on our orbit, we're going to go burning into space, you know, out of and never and miss our launch window or our, you know, reentry window or whatever those those things are that they're they're aiming for. So I, I really appreciate you kind of drilling down. But I'm just curious, if you started tomorrow, would you would you start back in the same space that you're in or would you maybe do something differently? You know, I think about this all the time and I, so I got three podcasts. I have the Land Geek podcast. I have the best passive income model podcast. And the current one is the art of passive income podcast, but the best passive income model podcast, I would have, you know, experts like you come on. I'd walk them to the model and say, do I have the best passive income model? And guys like Grant Cardone would kind of argue with me a little bit and then like, yeah, it, you do. And so I still think about that every day. If everything's going to change, what's not going to change? And I think two things are not going to change. I think number one, people are always going to want a real asset. Raw land, it's going to outlive all of us. It is a generational asset. Number two, I think people are always going to want a good deal. So if you can buy it right, I think it'll always sell no matter what happens in the world when everything changes. So that being said, I've got a model, no physical inventory. It's a one-time sale. If we get passive income, there's built-in pain from the, if they don't keep paying, there's built-in pain. And it's an inefficient business with low competition. It's a niche that's unloved. So I'm flexible like a yogi. Kevin, if you can tell me a better model with margins of 300 to 1,000%, that's 90% automated with software and inexpensive VAs that you can literally do from anywhere in the world with an inexpensive laptop in a virtual mailbox. I'm open to it. I just have not heard of it or seen it or found it. And it's not for lack of looking. Okay, well, they, I, I would say that there's almost a third reason, you know, you, you mentioned about just the, the land being a real asset, not going away. And, but the third thing is I think people inherently want to own real property. I think there's something intrinsic yeah. in, in like our own personal value that we, you know, when we own something, I don't care what it is. It's if you own it, you, you have a, a higher sense of worth or something, you know, inherently. No, absolutely. I, I joke. I call it man jewelry. Like my <laughs> wife puts on her earrings. I'm like, she can't even see her earrings, but she <laughs> likes the way it makes her feel. And I think that's the way, I think men generally like the, like the way it makes them feel knowing that they've got this asset, it's raw land, they can camp there, they can improve it. There, there's something very uh, primordial about owning raw land that's your own. And then you can brag to your neighbors and your banker, look at my, my balance sheet now, I own this asset, it's affordable. It's, it's, it's a good ego trip to say, you know, you beat up this land investor because it was so cheap. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There is a lust for land in this country that a lot of people don't realize. And if you set it up right, I mean, you can, when you go visit your land, it's then tax deductible through your corporation. So, you know, as you're, as you're viewing your asset or whatever it is. So normally we, we kind of wrap up just right after the, the uh, you know, kind of the rising tide startup school that you just, you just kind of gave us. But I, you, I told you, I would, you know, before we started that I, I reserved the right to chase a rabbit or two and you, you kind of sparked two, two other questions that, that I wanted to kind of follow up on. Number one is 
how do you how do you combat the um, I would think that there's this is almost a um, uh, how do I want to phrase that the, it's it's almost a contagion you know in your own spirit to buy and sell land you know so you if it's like you know the old adage that says when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail I mean how do you fight not wanting to scour you know want ads and or, or the classifieds and scour realtor.com and the internet and Craigslist for deals all the time. So I'm a deal junkie. I'll give you that. But that being said, I really, really value my time. And I know that as a CEO, my time is really best spent on strategy. And so that's really what I want to do. I get paid to think. And if I'm scouring all day long, I know I'm losing money. And if I'm losing money, I'm not doing what I want to do as a, as a provider for my family. So that's what kind of keeps me grounded is just having this purpose that's bigger than myself. Mm. I mean, I, there's a lot of things I like to do in life. Um, but if it's just for me, they'll get old and I want to have a, that, that purpose that's, that's bigger than me. Right. I mean, I, I love the kind of the whole idea that it's, it's almost like the, the, the premise of the book, the e-myth, you know, are you, are you working on your business instead of in it? You know, have you just, in essence, have you just created another job for yourself that you have a thousand bosses now instead of one? And, uh, you know, the whole idea of working on it and, and leading the business instead of, and, you know, delegating well and putting people in positions to do things that, that they can, that you could as well, but you shouldn't, you know, type things. So yeah, uh, I love that absolutely. idea. So the, the last thing I wanted to, to ask you about was, you know, you kind of, you kind of touched on this and on the edges, but, um, and really even in the, in the steps that you talked about as far as the startup was concerned, but, uh, or the startup school segment. But so when you first started, so take us back to 2001 really quickly. And just the whole idea of uh, what was the learning curve? I mean, this is, this is a pretty, I mean, there's so many things that, that you need to know to really protect yourself in this space. How did you, did you, was it the school of hard knocks that you went through? Was it, you know, what was that learning process? Were you just watching YouTube videos ad nauseum? Were you reading books about real estate? I mean, what was the, what was the school you, you know, school in air quotes that you went to to learn this stuff? Yeah, unfortunately it was a school of hard knocks. I made literally million dollar mistakes. And that's why I'm so sort of, I guess, regretful of not seeking out a mentor sooner. Um, but that was really it. I mean, there wasn't at that time anyone that I knew of that was doing what I was doing. Like we, you know, there, there are people that were doing it, but we were all kind of doing it at the same time. There wasn't like this old school Yoda type figure mm -hmm. that was going to generously uh, kind of guide me and help me. Now at my fifth year in, I got a business mentor and he kind of looked at me. He's like, Mark, you got a great job for yourself, but this is not a business. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, who's doing all the work? I'm like, I love it. I'm like, he's like, yeah. He's like, you think like your old job, you created a nice, a better job for yourself, <laughs> but don't fool yourself. This is no business. And so then I started creating systems and processes, automation, and that took about 
five years mm. to figure out. Yep. So it's, you know, I've been doing this now full time since 2001. Uh, it's been quite the roller coaster ride of hard knocks. But thankfully, I had a great mentor. His mentor is a billionaire. He sold his company for 360 million. So I got really lucky. So would you say moving forward, you're spending more of your time actually acquiring land and doing land transactions, or are you spending as much time teaching people how to do this? Well, I spend about two hours a week in Frontier Properties, which is the land investing business. Uh And I'm working with a team on those days. Um, So this is how I I, I theme my week, basically. So Monday is terminal day. Pretend this could be my last day on earth. I don't know if it's going to be or not. What would I want to do with that day? So usually it's very simple things. I want to have breakfast with my wife. I want to have a nice cup of coffee with her. I want to go on a hike or a bike or a walk, whatever it's going to be, like spend quality time with my loved ones, you know, take the kids to school, pick them up from school, hang out with them. Maybe we'll play a game. Maybe I'll cook a meal, whatever it is. But at the end of that day, read a great book. But at the end of the day, I want to feel like I could die. It was a great day. So Mondays and Fridays are those terminal days. And then Tuesday is my podcast day. So I just talk to mentors like you all day long and I get smarter on Tuesday, um, which is great. And I love it. If I'm not podcasting, then again, I'm thinking and I'm doing strategy and, and I'm reading and I'm trying to do, you know, growth and self-improvement. Uh, Wednesday are my team meetings day. day. So I meet with the entire team uh, in Frontier, Land Geek and Geek Pay and just see how are things going well. Are there any questions, any, you know, concerns? Um, God forbid I've had a really strong cup of coffee that day because I might have an idea and I'm going to break something and I've just created more work for you. So they, you know, that's on Wednesday. My team dreads Wednesdays. That's right. My team does not love Wednesdays. Hey, can we do this? So Thursdays are client days where I do check-ins with my clients and, um, you know, spend time with them or looking at, again, other ways to improve the client experience in Frontier and LandGeek with things that I call like glugus, giving a little unexpected extra. So what would it be like for a client to get a call from me? Just checking like a check-in, like unexpectedly. They, you know, that, that kind of stuff is kind of cool. Um, to get a VIP land buyer, I might just call and say, hey, you know, I've got this amazing deal. Don't tell anybody. Um, let's do it and negotiate for a little bit just to have fun. Uh, and then Friday again, terminal day and Saturday and Sunday are just days with the kids and the family and, you know, three teenagers, it's tough, but hopefully I can connect with them at some point. I mean, I, I love the way that you've kind of framed your week and, and really set aside, you know, specific tasks for specific days. And I'm, I'm, there are always fires that come up that kind of cause you to adjust the, the schedules from time to time. But um, it sounds like to me that you're very proactive in how you approach your week and, and your team can count, count on that as well. And, and the people that you work with can certainly count on that. And you've kind of established the, the boundaries in your life. That's really, really good. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the main value is quality of relationships because if you look at people on their deathbed, that's what they really value is number one the relationships, yeah. number one. So money, fine stuff, fine, whatever. 
Um, I think that's really ego related. I think when you start to peel the onion, um, what we really want are those, those people in our lives that we can be our real selves with, be vulnerable with. And unfortunately, it just doesn't happen unless you take the time and do that. But right. How do you get that time? I think that for me, Frontier Properties is that vehicle so that I can work when I want, where I want, with whom I want. That's what the passive income buys me is better relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I love the model and it's, it's interesting because I, you know, uh, I'm going to uh, spend some time this week and kind of look back and, and look back through your website. So as we wrap up today, tell us when's, where's the best place for people to, to find you online. And if they're interested in this, what's the, what's the best next step at, you know, next step that they need to take uh, next action step. What, what would you encourage them to do? Yeah, we have a, a $97 course called the Passive Income Launch Kit. Kevin, with your permission, I'd love to offer it to your listeners for free. Wow. If they just go to thelandgeek.com forward slash launch kit and see if this model resonates with them or not. Well, I appreciate it. Launch kit is all one word or two? Is there all, space? Yeah, it's all, no space, just one okay. word. All right, so thelandgeek.com forward slash launch kit. So I encourage yeah. our listeners to uh, to take Mark up on that offer and and uh, take a look at, at the course that he's so generously provided for us. And I, I really am grateful for you doing that for our listeners. And and uh, uh, you're going to probably see my email address pop in that that one as well. So I'm going to take a look at that myself. But uh, yeah, no, Mark, absolutely. It is. Uh, it's just been a pleasure to have you with us today. It's just really been good to you know kind of just banter back and forth and have a, have an enjoyable Friday afternoon and just listen to your story and, and just the value you provided to our listeners and, and just the, the, uh, I mean, just the rhythm and the, and the, like you the, the roller coaster that you described is the process that you've gone through. And, and I, I frankly just appreciate the humility that you've shown even in the process and said, Hey, you know, I, if, if I could have broken it, I've, I've broken it sometime along the path and, and learned so many hard lessons, but um, it sounds like to me that, uh, that it was really that diligence and that hard work has really paid off and you created the lifestyle that, that you can really, you know, walk in and be proud of and, and uh, you know, be a real benefit, not only to you and your family, but generations to come. So Mark, Thank thanks you. again for just sharing with us today and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin.
another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.